Let's look to the Lord in prayer <clears throat> before we look into his word. There's an outline in your uh, bulletin if you have that, if you want to follow along uh, with the message this morning. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He overcame every obstacle. He overcame sin. He overcame death. And he rose from the dead and he lives forever on high and sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us that we might commune with him even as we live our lives out on this earth today. We praise you for this truth. And we would uh, pray, Father, that you would uh, seal to our hearts the truths that are in this message today. In thy name we ask it. Amen. Today I'm going to be teaching about how to have the peace of Christ become a guide for your life. How to have the peace of Christ become a guide for your life. It's a lesson that I've learned and I taught to my children and to many others. And I was uh, actually speaking to my oldest son about this just this week. As um, we've shared with some of you, my oldest son uh, used to be the um, uh, president and CEO of the Houston Housing Authority got on the wrong side of the mayor and uh, doesn't have that job anymore. And so for the last six months, he's been be, uh, beginning a um, consulting business. And now he's had an opportunity to uh, interview with the Denver Housing Authority as to whether he might want to be their uh, director. And he said, well, that's one of the few that I would be interested in, you know. So he says, I, I did go ahead and let them have my name and my information, but I'm not really sure. And so I referred him to Colossians 3.15, and, and we talked a little bit about letting the peace of Christ guide you. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me relate several kinds of situations in which Christians find themselves to which today's message could apply. First, here's a, a Christian listening to a preacher expound the word of God. You want to give us the next slide. Okay, you recognize that as Charles Stanley. And so as the preacher continues, this deep conviction takes hold of that Christian. It's like the two men on the road to Emmaus who said their hearts burned within them as Christ taught. So this Christian is, is getting a case of heavenly heartburn. And in the course of the message, the preacher gives a call for a specific thing. It might be serving in a mission field or giving a monetary gift or helping to evangelize or some other kind of call. And this Christian has heard this message many times before, but this time it seems to burn into his own soul with a need to respond. They really feel that they're not going to have any peace until they say yes to God about this issue. So what should they do? Second situation. Here's a man who's happily involved successfully in the career of his choice. 
However, there's this growing sense that there's something else he ought to be doing. He's not prepared for a career change, though several options in Christian fields appear to be open. He has fruitful ministry where he is because he's always been faithful to God and obedient to the word, but the path forward is not abundantly clear. What should he do about this growing dissatisfaction within his life? Or here's a Christian who's crippled by an incurable disease or a tragic accident. The plans that he had for his life now appear to be physically impossible. He knows God can heal him, but he's not positive that that's God's will. And as much as he would like to be healed, he wants to pray according to God's will. How should he pray? Or here's a fourth situation. This is a pastor There are two Christian men in his church that are angry at each other. Everybody knows about their disunity, though they've never spoken publicly about it. Neither has asked the pastor for help. The pastor would like to help, but since it's a personal matter that has never been publicly discussed, he's not even sure he can approach either one about it. He has already labored hours in prayer concerning this. What should the pastor do, if anything? I believe all of these are situations in which Colossians 3.15 is applicable. All of these have a bearing on the peace of Christ being experienced in your life. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So, first of all, we need to recognize, well, what is the peace of Christ that's being talked about here? Is it different from other kinds of peace? So we need to differentiate. It's not peace with God that we find in Romans 1. Peace with God is that which is attained when we're no longer at war with God. It's the peace of transferred allegiance. Before we trusted Christ as Savior, we had been on Satan's team, whether we knew it or not. When we trust Christ as our Savior and ask his forgiveness, we have a transferred allegiance from Satan's team to God's team. This was made possible by Jesus having taken care of our sin problem. So the second aspect of it is that it's, a, it's differentiated from peace with God. It's, it's a part of the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7 speaks of the peace of God that is a heavenly peace that God experiences in the heavenlies, and it's poured into our hearts and minds to protect them. The peace of God is established in the vertical relationship between ourselves and God. And we especially experience it when our hearts and minds are set on things above, as we just started quoting in Colossians 3. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. So the peace of Christ then in Colossians 3.15 and John 16.33 is the specific variety of that heavenly peace of God that Christ experienced while he was here on earth. In uh, John 16.33, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I believe the peace of Christ is established in the horizontal relationships, that is, I especially come to know this peace in the midst of the things that Christ helps me with in this life. 
It involves things he helps with in my relationships to my family, to coworkers, to institutions that are formed like uh, groups uh, and, and the church or school. The peace of Christ helps govern and direct my life in this life as I live it here. The peace with God is established in my relationship with God, my vertical relationship. The peace of Christ can help direct me in this life. That's what Colossians 3.15 is telling us. The way the peace of Christ looks when it's ruling in the church or in a corporate group that's governed by Christ is this. It looks like unity. Unity. Uh, it says in Ephesians 3, 5, and 6, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of this body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is, we all got saved in the same way. Nobody has any greater claim to Jesus and his salvation by virtue of a spiritual heritage than any other person. The greatest potential for disunity in the early church was the division between Jew and Gentile. And they sorted that out in the first century of those who came to faith. Now individually, on an individual basis, this peace of Christ that he wants us to have has six characteristics that I find in Scripture. <clears throat> First of all, it's unique and spiritual. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace of Christ is not the same as the kind of peace that the world gives. When the world brokers peace, it's usually given with give and take, and it's partial and temporary in nature. Like the peace that Jacob and Laban had for the years that Jacob labored for Laban, it was not a settled peace. There was a kind of walking on eggshells and waiting for the next vexing incident as they experienced life together. And people today often work out that kind of peace in order to keep a job or to try to hold an unhappy marriage together. That peace that can be enforced by contracts and rules it's temporal. Jesus' peace is eternal because it's grounded in heaven. And then it's expressed on earth in our relationships to one another. It's tranquil as opposed to troubled. There is a kind of peace that is a troubled peace. That is, you are on pins and needles that it will be lost at any time. If you've ever lived in a dysfunctional home, you may have familiarity with this kind of peace. You're always wondering when the peace is going to be shattered with a blow-up from that alcoholic dad or rageaholic brother or narcissistic mother or perfectionistic father. All these kinds of personalities create dysfunctional homes, and any peace is a troubled peace. The peace Jesus gives is not troubled. It's not a troubled peace. It is serene and confident rather than afraid. The peace of Christ removes fear. It removes anxiety. It is not compatible with worry. If you're suffering with fear, anxiety, worry, you're not experiencing the peace of Christ. Fear has to do with safety. Anxiety has to do with serenity. 
and worry has to do with security, and all three of those things are destroyers of your peace. If you feel you do not have safety or serenity or security, you do not have the peace of Christ, and you need it. Fourthly, it is found in Christ. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Let me explain this with a couple of scriptures. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you are placed in Christ positionally before God. This makes you a new creation capable of things you were not capable of before you were in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things uh, have become new. Romans 8.1, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. If you're not experiencing the peace of Christ, you need to understand the doctrine of your position in Christ. Because Christ has already accomplished all righteousness and has paid the penalty for our sin by death and has risen from the dead and now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, awaiting for the playing out of the history of man until his return, we can have the safety of knowing that our ultimate salvation is secure because it waits for us with Christ who has already obtained it. Our serenity in this old sinful world is assured because Christ already obtained the credit of righteousness for us and we need only trust him. Our security is sure as heaven cannot be assaulted by Satan. These are truths of our position in Christ, and that is where our peace is found. This peace is not a lie. It's present even when there's trouble in the world. This peace is not a lie. Jesus is very clear that there will be trouble in the world. But we can have his peace because his peace is anchored in heaven, not in the world. This peace transcends circumstances. We have the testimony of this through the saints of old who underwent all kinds of persecution. If the worst the world can do is take your life, but they cannot take your soul, and you know that when you die you go to heaven, then even the taking of your life is a win 
for you as a Christian. Do you understand that? That's why Paul was able to write, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is why Christians through the ages have been able to die under persecution with peace in their hearts and praise on their lips. This world's trouble is no threat to you in the core of your being in regard to what is really important. This is why I've been able to witness the death of many saints and observed incredible peace as they face death even though they are suffering. What is it? It is the peace of Christ indwelling them. The peace of Christ is more powerful than the power of trouble. I think we need a couple more clicks here. Yeah, there we go. When Jesus says he has overcome the world, he's speaking of reality. We have all kinds of troubles in this world caused ultimately by sin. And when Jesus overcame the power of sin, he overcame the troubles of this world. Death comes because of sin. Jesus overcomes death. Corruption of nature comes because of sin. Jesus has overcome the corruption of nature and will one day restore earth to a pristine state. Whatever troubles you have, Jesus has the power to give you peace in spite of your troubles. This pandemic has thrown our world into chaos. And there are all kinds of troubles we see in regard to it. Some people die from the virus. Others have lost jobs because of the shutdowns. Others have living changes because of sheltering in place. All of these things can cause trouble for you. Yet Christ promises peace. So if you're a believer and you're not currently experiencing the peace of Christ, how do you get more of it into your life? Well, first of all, recognize that it is a gift and a fruit. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I, what? Say it, give to you. I give to you. Jesus said this in the context of telling his disciples that he would send his Holy Spirit after he went back to the Father. He gives this gift with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to begin with, you must understand that this gift is just for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's how you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, to forgive you for your sin, and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You allow the Holy Spirit to be your guide in life according to the Word of God. That's how this gift is received. And then you come to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person in a relationship with you, and he will produce fruit in your life as you mature spiritually. Fruit comes from mature trees. One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. So as you mature, you experience the fruit of the Spirit of peace to a greater and greater degree. The best fruit tends to come from the most mature trees. The most mature trees are the ones that have survived the storms and been pruned and been well watered, and they will produce the most fruit consistently. And as you mature in Christ, you will experience this fruit of peace to a greater and greater degree, and it will become sweeter and sweeter. Psalm 1 describes the person well, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Because Jesus promised to give us his peace, we can expect it. Jesus always keeps his promises. But sometimes we need to do things that create the proper conditions for enjoying this peace. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 gives several things that we can do. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So what are some of these things? One, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is something that is always possible because God is always good, and he is always in control, and he always loves us, and he always tells us the truth, and he is always with us. Those are reasons we can always rejoice in the Lord. We can auto, cannot always rejoice in our circumstances. But even when our circumstances are dire and dismal, God is not. So we can rejoice in him. Secondly, let your gentleness be evident. The word translated gentleness or gentle spirit is a word which means sweet reasonableness. We need to be reasonable rather than harsh. These first two strategies are useful to help create an atmosphere for peace in relationships. Many times it is disturbances in our relationships that rob us of peace. But we can have our best chance for regaining that peace when we are filled with the joy of the Lord and we let the others in our relationships understand that their misbehavior or lack of peace will not take away our sweet reasonableness. I'll never forget the comment of a woman that my wife ministered to while we pastored in Belmont, Iowa. This woman's life was chaotic. Between ourselves, we referred to her as the woman at the well because she'd been married four times, was living with a fifth guy. And you can imagine the kind of life that came out of that. But she knew she was not judged. She was accepted by my wife and I. I'm going to go down a rabbit trail here. Had one of my most embarrassing experiences with her. Um, of course, everybody in town knew who this was. The carnival came to town, and my son Tom was about five years old. He wanted to go on the rides at the carnival. So I went down to the carnival, and I'm taking him along, and she comes running out of one of the booths, and she says, Oh, Pastor Ron! And she grabs my hand and starts leading me around the carnival like we were a couple. <laughs> and says, Hey, I can get him free rides, you know. <laughs> I know all the carny people, which was true, she did. So this woman's life was chaotic. Joanne ministered to her in various ways. 
But her comment in coming to our home was, I love to come to your house because it is so peaceful. Why, even your dog is calm. (laughs) Which was true. When you rejoice in the Lord and you minister to people with sweet reasonableness, it will establish an atmosphere of peace in your household. And it will be attractive even to unbelievers who are the most lost people you would ever know. Because they need peace in their life. And this should be the normal Christian experience because it's what God promised us. No matter how bad a circumstance appears, we still have something that we can give thanks for. If we are still breathing, we can be thankful for that. Thanksgiving makes anxiety go away. You cannot be filled with thanksgiving and also filled with anxiety. They are logical opposites. Anxiety will take away your serenity in a circumstance. Thanksgiving will help feed your serenity. These three strategies will result in the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind. And then fourthly, think right and positive thoughts. Verse 8, Paul gives a list of the kinds of things to think about that feed peace in your soul. Things that are true, honorable, right or righteous, pure, lovely, things of good reputation, things that are excellent, praiseworthy things. There's way too much trashy, violent, lustful, prideful, greedy, ugly, negative, bring you down kind of thinking going on in the world. Don't get sucked into that kind of thinking. And if you have trouble avoiding that kind of thinking, stop watching the news. (laughs) And start reading your Bible. Okay? It's out there. And sometimes it's a challenge to try to keep your mind on the positive things, isn't it? It's a real challenge. Choose peaceful or peaceable role models. Essentially in verse 9, Paul tells the Philippian Christians, do you want to have the same kind of peace that you see that I have? Well, do what I do. Put it into practice. If you see a fellow believer that exhibits the peace of Christ as a matter of lifestyle, get into a mentoring relationship with them. Ask them how they do it. Observe their attitudes and actions and words in stressful situations and then imitate what they do. Sometimes our struggle for peace is a matter of trying to control everything and not having a spirit of submission to God. God will bring peace and order into our lives as we yield to him and his peace. This is what Colossians 3.15 is about. Let me explain how it works. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, how? When it says, let the peace of Christ rule, what the scripture is telling me that is that Christ's peace is serving as an authority within my spirit. And I need to yield to that authority. The word for rule is brabiuo, which means to umpire or to arbitrate. What does an umpire or an arbitrator do? Well, he interprets the rules to make a judgment call. In a court, the arbitrator says, this situation applies in this way. In a ball game, the umpire is the arbitrator and says, here is the way the rule applies for this situation. 
The umpire helps the game go forward in an orderly manner as long as all the players listen to his rulings. The peace of Christ confirms or denies the action going on in the playing field of your life to keep the direction of your life going according to God's will for you. You see, God isn't going to lead you away from his will. He will lead you always into his will, into the path that he's charted out for you. Now, you need to know that you can ignore the peace of Christ as an arbiter. So don't not let it rule. Just as you could choose to ignore the umpire in a ball game and get yourself into all kinds of trouble, you can ignore the peace of Christ as an umpire in your life. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, Matthew 6.25 says, uh, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So if you choose to worry about all of those things that Jesus said our Heavenly Father would take care of, you'll not find the peace of Christ working very well as a direction giver for your life. Matthew 6, 33 and 34 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, God wants us to play the game of life with our eyes on his goal of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. If we do, we will find his peace will be given and withdrawn in such a way as to provide guidance for our life. There are some particular times when the peace of Christ functions in this way for us. Well, when is that? Well, it's when you do not have a more direct instruction from God as to what to do. You see... Sometimes we do not need the peace of Christ to tell us what to do because the word of God has already spoken about it. So growing up, I didn't need to have peace about obeying my parents to know that it was the right thing to do. The Bible told me very directly that I was supposed to obey my parents. And when I became an adult, my parents were no longer the authority in the same way. And sometimes I would seek their advice, but sometimes I would need the peace of Christ to help me find God's will. Throughout my adult life, the peace of Christ has guided me in regard to decisions to enter ministry, decisions to pastor in particular places, decisions to engage in various non-ministry activities, decisions to take on various responsibilities that were extra, all kinds of ways the peace of Christ has ruled, and I've listened when the Holy Spirit led, do this, don't do that. And the Holy Spirit will guide us in regard to that with peace. I'm not going to read this passage of Matthew 26, 35, uh, 36 through 45. You're all familiar with it. It's when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and is facing the reality of the cross. In verse 38, Christ is oppressed in soul and the suffering of the cross is right in front of him. And he knows he's going to have to go through this. And yet the thought is oppressive. And sometimes you need God's peace because you know God's will, but you're afraid of it. And you need a confirmation of the peace of God in order to help you go through with what you know you need to go through with. That's what Jesus was at right here. 
In verses 39 through 44, Christ prayed and watched earnestly, looked for the complete and full accomplishment of God the Father's will being done. And then in verses 45 and 6, we see Jesus being calm and filled with strength as he submits to the Father's will and commits to carrying it out by being betrayed and going to the cross. He'd prayed through to the peace of guiding him. There may be times when God has made clear to you that you're going to have to go through something that you would rather not go through. It's scary. It may be painful. It could actually kill you. Something like facing a cancer diagnosis. Where do you get the strength to face that kind of thing? How could you have peace in the face of this kind of a thing? Well, you submit to the Father's will. He gives the strength and the peace. You've seen this lived out in the lives of many people who go through great suffering and death with a peace that passes understanding. I saw it in my brother. As he went through incredible suffering with bone cancer. And yet there was a sweetness and a peace as he thanked the workers who helped him. As he expressed his love to his daughters who came to visit him. Where did that come from? He was in agony. It's the peace of Christ guiding you. I know, Lord, it's your will for me to go through this. And so here I go. And you're going to have to give me the strength, God. You're going to have to give me the peace to honor you in the way I do it. When you're fulfilling God's purposes for your life and you can rely on his peace to give you direction, we find an example from Jesus in John 12, 27 and 28. He says, now my soul has become troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Here is Christ actually looking forward to his death after raising Lazarus from the dead. And he knew God's purpose for him in going to the cross was not only for our salvation, but also for the Father's glory. So what are God's purposes for us? Well, here are a few. God purposes that we be conformed to Christ. Romans 8, 29. And sometimes that will take chipping off some of the rough edges of who I am. Might involve some suffering. I can have peace in that if I recognize what's God doing. He's helping me conform to the image of Christ. It's his will for us to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's one of his purposes for us. Is that we would make disciples. Preach reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. That's one of God's purposes for us. Might I be a tool of his to help reconcile two people who are struggling? Be examples for others, especially leaders, 1 Timothy 4, 12. To be victorious over sin. It's one of God's purposes for us. To love one another, John 13 34 through 36. To walk in his foreordained good works that have been designed for you. One of the things that is so 
incredibly encouraging about the Christian life. Regardless of who you are as a believer, God has specific things that will be tailored to who you are to bring him glory. It may be suffering. It may be a small thing that you don't even, I don't even think that's, that's anything. That's just kind of who I am. I'm an inviter to people and I encourage people. Well, that's part of God's path for you. God has a path for each one of us that will bring him glory. And Jesus said, not even a, a glass of water given in my name will be without its reward when we get to glory. And as you follow the peace of Christ guiding you to do those good works that God called you to do, you're accumulating treasure in heaven. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? Another purpose of his, to exercise the gifts that he gave you in the place of ministry that he called you to. You know, sometimes there are matters that we face in our daily Christian experience that don't have black and white answers printed clearly as commands in the Bible. And I believe it's especially at these times that we need to let the peace of Christ rule. If you're at one of those kinds of times in here today, you do as Jesus did. First, watch and pray. Pray that God will direct you into his perfect will for you by giving and withdrawing his peace. Then as you take each step, expect to see Christ's peace affirming or denying that step. Joanne and I weren't going to move to Stanton when we retired. We were going to move to Texas. No snow. <laughs> Made perfect sense to us. And then God removed some peace about that decision. And we started talking with each other. Well, what do you suppose that's about? Maybe God wants something else from us. And so we said, that was right after my brother died. Well, maybe we should be more available to mom to help her. Maybe that's God's will for us. And we talked to Sue about it. We talked to mom about it. And she'd kind of had the same idea. Well, why, why are you going to move to Texas? Why don't you come up here and live in my basement and help me out some? Okay, Lord. And we had peace settle in our hearts that this is where God wanted us to be. That's how it works. You watch and pray. You can make your own plan. And if God withdraws his peace from the plan that you've made, look for another plan until God confirms that plan with his peace. You change steps, take another step, and steadily and surely, step by step, God will guide you, and even if you face trouble, you'll experience the peace that passes all understanding 
It's the peace of Christ that God gave us for this life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great love for us. We thank you for the peace that Christ brings into the life of the believer, especially as we seek to follow your will and your path for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have a path foreordained for us to walk in and that you'll reveal it to us. First of all, by the direct instructions of your word, but then also by the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, governed by the Holy Spirit. We praise you, Lord, that you guide and you give your peace, a peace that transcends anything we can know on earth. In thy name we ask it. Amen.